Welcome to Sunday School at Trinity Presbyterian Church. We are happy to have you tune in. And uh, today is kind of a, uh, there's going to be a lot of information today. Uh, today we are covering two things, but I thought we should only because uh, one implies the other. So today we're covering the necessity and the sufficiency of God's Word. So we're, we're talking about why it is necessary, and we're talking about why um, it is all-encompassing. And we are going to, uh, uh, today I'm going to make some claims that are a little, uh, I don't know if they're controversial, well I guess they are controversial, um, out in the world today. And uh, so I want you to follow with me carefully, because today is uh, an important day in understanding what Scripture uh, is able to do for us. Uh, last week, uh, I know there was some choppiness to our uh, to Sunday school, uh, and it was pretty important, so I'm going to do a little bit of a review, very, very small, and then we're going to get into it. So let's pray, and then we'll get going. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, are thankful to you today uh, because you have given us your word, uh, because we know uh, you uh, in a real way, and we are able to understand our world in a real way because of the way you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, we pray for wisdom over what we cover today. Help us to understand and most importantly, Lord, help it to matter to us, Lord. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Okay, so last week I asked the question, uh, I believe this is what I asked, 90% sure. Uh, how do you know the Bible is true? Does that ring a bell with anybody? <laughs> okay. How do you know the Bible is true? And we answered that question uh, Maybe in an unusual way, we answered it by saying that we know the Bible is true because our ultimate authority told us it's true, and that ultimate authority is the Bible. Uh, we talked about how authority works that way. Uh, you eventually go back so far that you can't go back any further, and that thing at the very back, that authority, is the thing you decide what's true and false in the world. You don't ask the authority whether it is or not. And everyone does this. Um, this is how human minds think. And we'll review that a little bit today, too. Uh, but today, I want to answer the question, how do you know what is true? In other words, uh, when you look out into the world, and your mind is telling you uh, what it's seeing and all that sort of stuff, you go to school, you learn uh, what uh, 2 plus 2 equals, uh, your teacher tells you it's 4, <laughs> and we tend to believe them. Right? Uh, eventually it makes sense to us because we take two things, then we take two more things, and we notice that uh, when we've done that, we have four things. And so we start uh, noticing that not only does teacher tell me things, but I'm beginning to find out in my experience that they are true. Or at least they cohere with my experience. Um, and that's kind of how we kind of go about life, and especially in America, uh, we have learned that my experience really is the thing that will tell me what's true or false. Uh, this is why uh, young people, uh, pay attention to this part, 
This is why uh, young people often get upset about Christianity. Uh, rarely is it because of uh, some doctrine that uh, seems uh, untrue to them or uh, the whole thing seems uh, um, inconsistent or something. Usually what happens is they have had some kind of experience that has told them that uh, Christianity isn't worth it. Um, so I'll open up with a little story that has to do with what we're talking about today. Uh, when I was working on my degree in philosophy, there was this young man that I sat next to, incidentally, and um, he was a uh, devout atheist. Now, this is unusual in a philosophy program. You might think it's quite normal, but it's actually quite unusual because in philosophy you learn that atheism is an impossible thing to prove uh, because what you're saying is, I know that there is no God anywhere in the universe. Uh, that's an insane claim to make because you would have to know the entire universe to make the claim. So what most people in philosophy departments uh, say is that uh, the evidence does not show that there is a God. Who knows? But the evidence doesn't show. So they become agnostic and then they feel smart again. The uh, young man sitting next to me uh, claimed atheism, and it made him feel very special. And uh, he just believed that uh, the Bible is ridiculous, it's uh, insane to believe all that stuff, I can't believe anyone believes it, and that was kind of his uh, speech every time we met. And to his defense, uh, the class was called uh, the philosophy of Nietzsche, uh, who, was, who was an atheist, so I mean, I, I get it, uh, he was... He was at church for him. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so one day, uh, the teacher came in and said, there are people in uh, some part of the continent of Africa that were claiming that they were ra uh, rising again. Uh, people got sick, they were dying, they were burying them, and then they found that these people were scraping out of their, out of their uh, coffins and somehow getting out of the ground, and they were alive, uh, and that resurrection was happening in Africa. And I made the mistake of snickering. I snickered. Uh, so I said, uh, I just thought, you know, okay, uh, you know, maybe someone, pretty heavy sleeper. I didn't know. I just didn't know. And, um, and this young man got very upset with me. He said, here you believe in the Bible, and you can't believe in this. This is real. People are really, I mean, he really was buying into it. And I I, I just could not stop smiling, uh, and which was probably a bad, a bad person. So, um, so he, uh, he just got so upset, and I said, so finally, at the end of the class, the class was over, and we were just, you know, packing up books and things, and I said, hey, man, what, uh, what's up with you and uh, Christianity? You seem to uh, hate it. And he said, oh, I don't hate Christianity. I just think it's ridiculous. I go, oh, really? So, so you don't, you've never had any experience in Christianity? He goes, oh, yeah, I had experience in Christianity, all right. When I was a teenager, I went to a youth group. So he already had the terminology. So he had been involved. I mean, when you say youth group, you know you've spent some time in Christianity. And so he was in a youth group for uh, two years. And during those two years, those, the, he said, those people treated me terribly. 
said they wouldn't talk to me. They had all their friends, and they had, and I'm thinking, I was expecting this big, long dissertation on the ridiculous claims of Christianity and how they don't cohere with a uh, Bertrand Russellian uh, view and all this. No. Uh, He had a bad experience at youth group. And that's what led him down this path. And he even admits it. I mean, he doesn't even think that that's a... I mean, there was no intellectual... Karate going on. It was just, uh, I had this bad experience. These people treated me poorly. Therefore, Christianity is junk to him. And I, and uh, the problem is with a lot of young people, they don't mature out of that and realize that humans uh, do not. Uh, how you are treated or an experience doesn't necessarily tell you everything there is to know about Christianity. That should be a lesson to us, of course, and what we're doing and how we treat people, but it also tends to be the, the mantra we get from young people, that my experience has told me through some kind of relational thing that Christianity is not for me. And so they decide what is true. And they decide what is true based on some experience they had, some kind of reasoning they have in their head. And like I said last week, uh, there are these three limitations of humans. Uh, If you printed out your little uh, sheet, uh, the first three there are a review from last week. Humans are learning beings. We learn That is a limitation. Uh, One that has to learn uh, can only learn so much, right? And can only learn so well. And everything they're getting is a reproduction of what has been given to them. That is a limitation. You wouldn't think so when you talk to uh, people, especially in, uh, in academia. You would think that's a strength. It is not. So because humans are learning beings, human knowledge is limited in quantity, and human knowledge is limited in quality. Uh, Literally, there are things that we all believed as a big group of humans that that turned out later to not be so, right? Even as something as simple as gravity, right? Gravity, you pick something up, you let go of it, it it goes down, (laughs) Pretty simple, but uh, for a long time we we believed Newton, uh, and uh, it turns out uh, Newton wasn't necessarily right about that. Uh, Einstein came along and said, "This is a bending of time space. This isn't something that just simply has attraction." And we're like, "Oh, that's interesting." But everyone bought Newton for a long time, and then it's Einstein, and that's just because the math worked. We still don't really know, no. We just like, well, the math really works. Makes sense. How else do you prove that time-space is bending with large objects? Ah, I don't know. But the math works, right? And so we go with it. There's limitation in quality as well as quantity. As we get more information, right? Even Einstein was suspicious of quantum mechanics, He was suspicious of it. Why? Because it broke every rule that he had been following up until that point. Once we got to quantum mechanics, well, 
we realized our information wasn't only quantitatively limited, but we had bad quality, in fact. Okay, so I say all that to say. When it comes to how do you know what is true, there's an immature way of, of going about it and saying, it's my personal experience. It's what I think. It's what I've experienced, and so then uh, in that immaturity, 18-year-olds uh, go to college, and college says, no, there's better ways of knowing, and then they feel enlightened because they realize, oh, it's not just my experience. I have some other standard I have to go by, right? And usually whoever forms that new standard is the one that gets to dictate to them the new doctrines of their life. Ignoring the fact that they're still limited in quality and quantity. Now, why am I saying all these things? I'm saying all these things because we have Scripture. And the thing that uh, the world wants us to be convinced of, in fact, even other Christians tend to want us to convince us of this, is that the Bible is not capable of being the source that accounts for all knowledge that is possible for humans. In other words, what I'm saying is they don't want to believe that something like 2 plus 2 equaling 4 is accountable, is, is accounted for in Scripture. They want to say, well, that's something else. Scripture is for your religion. And it is. It is for our faith. But is it just for our faith? Is it just to find out the rules of your religion, but not the reality of something like physics, right? I don't remember if I've told you these stories. I'm getting to the age where I can't remember what I've said before, but I'll tell you it again, and the people in the building will look at me like this is the first time they've ever heard this story. So uh, we're living in Toledo, and we have this uh, and have I told you about the little girl with the, with the helmet? Okay, well, those of you online, you're going to hear it again if you've heard it because these guys don't remember it. All right, so uh, so we're in Toledo. There's this little girl. She, drives, she goes on her little bike. Her name was Allison. She goes up and down our, our street on her little bike with her little helmet on her head. And she goes back and forth. And then every evening, Mommy would yell, Allison, time to eat. And this little girl, riding her little bike with her little helmet on her head, would then turn to her mommy and say, shut up. I'm not coming in. And then mommy would argue back, trying to give a good reason why she should come in. <laughs> and she would just yell back that she wasn't going to do it. And uh, it, was, it was strange to see a little child talk that way uh, to a mom at that age. But the little child, I, what, what amazed me about this, this is why I always bring it up, I, see that, I remember seeing that helmet on her head all the time. Now, what does that mean? Uh, this was a while ago. This was before helmets got cool and little kids you know, had little spikes on them and had, they were pink or rainbows and all this stuff. It was just an ugly helmet. Kids hate wearing helmets because it does look weird. And I'm sorry, uh, maybe I shouldn't say that if the kids are listening. But my point is this. Kids don't like the helmet, so we had to pretty them up. Well, this was before the prettying. And to that mom, physics 
was a non-negotiable. To, to that mom, if that child fell off the bike, the head had to be protected. So no matter what, she's wearing that helmet. But if that child yells back and screams and tells her mom horrible things, that's negotiable. We can do that. Why? Because people are convinced of physics because of experience, but not convinced of faith. In other words, everyone's fine with saying, oh, your Bible is wonderful for your religion, but now let's turn to something that's real, like X, that your Bible has no territory for. So let's talk about that. What does the Westminster Confession say? Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, article 6. Uh, it's on your uh, handout if you printed that out. We're going to fill in a few of the words. The whole counsel of God concerning, their first blank there is, all things, all things, necessary for his own glory. Okay, so the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his glory, man's salvation, faith, and life. Okay, so it just went through this big list. The whole counsel of God concerning all things. All things necessary for his own glory, for man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly, that's your next blank, expressly set down in, in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. That's your last blank in that section, deduced. Deduction is a way of organizing your thoughts, and coming to conclusions. So you, uh, deduction means you're moving from uh, general truths to specific uh, ideas or applications. Okay? So when I look at Scripture, it does not say, one day there will be this man named Renton Rathbun. And Renton Rathbun is going to be included with all have sinned. Next verse. Therefore, uh, when you meet Renton, you will know he is one of the people that have sinned. There is no verse that says that. Okay? It does say that all have sinned, right? That is a general truth. Who is, who is included in the all? Well, it would be me. right? I can deduce that. Uh, and so we are able to deduce things, even to deduce that uh, scripture is clear that Jesus Christ is God and that the Father, who is a different person, is also the same single God and that there is the Spirit, who is also the same single God that we worship. Now, there is no verse that says, now look, in the future, people will have a hard time with this. Uh, it will be called the Trinity. And this is where we and, and go into this, because God did not give us a systematic theology, right? He gave us scripture that would, con would be conducive to who we are, story people. So this is how we, we, we deduce things. We use uh, our reason in a, uh, in a particular way to come to these conclusions. Okay, so what the Westminster Confession of Faith is saying is that all things uh, 
is that the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for God's own glory. Okay, So anything that has to do with God's glory. Do you think physics has something to do with God's glory? Yes. In fact, I would say everything created has something to do with God's glory. Because that's why God created it. So if there's something outside of creation other than God, I guess that would be the thing that we could say has nothing to do with God's glory. Of course, that wouldn't exist, obviously. So, so far, that first statement kind of covers everything, but it gets specific with man's salvation. Faith and life. And although this has been typically understood to mean you know, the doctrines that we have and how we exercise them in our lives. That's true. But even as we exercise them, there are expectations on how we exercise them. How do you exercise the doctrines you learned in life in your learning, in your knowledge? When you learn about uh, gravity, is there a particular way to understand it that is different than an unsaved person? I'm going to say yes. And I'm even going to say an unsaved person has no way to ground it. In fact, for those of you that are interested, uh, I was talking to uh, Chuck about this a while ago, how there's a new standard for physics. They're beginning to say that maybe space-time is not the platform upon which they should direct all their speculation, that there's something even before that, even prior to that. And they're starting to get in all this crazy quantum physics stuff that uh, because they don't know how to ground any of what they're saying. They ground it in math, but math is theoretical. It's just trying to find some kind of uh, quantitative way of understanding the world, but that doesn't tell you why it's true. They don't know why. They don't have anything to ground it in. What I'm going to tell you is that all knowledge, by the time we're done here in the next few minutes, (laughs) uh, all knowledge is grounded or can be accounted for in Scripture. And that includes everything we're talking about, whether we're talking about physics, math, all those things. And that if you cannot ground it in Scripture, then you're understanding it wrongly. Okay, so, uh, that brings us to this next question. Is there another source outside of Scripture that can give us knowledge about God's glory? man's salvation, faith, and life. Okay, So we look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19, 1 and 2. Perhaps there's something outside of Scripture that can tell us of God's glory. So we look at Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The heavens are telling or declaring of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So what is this saying? It's saying that God's creation, uh, even the stars in the sky, are proclaiming the glory of God. Well, isn't that a different source than Scripture? That's what some might say, right? This is what the Catholics in the medieval times said, who followed Thomas Aquinas, And what a lot of even Reformed people today believe because they decided to follow a Catholic like Thomas Aquinas. So is it true that 
The stars and the heavens declare God's glory. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're going to find there's a problem. Um, look at Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to go a little further with this. So if the stars and the sky and uh, God's creation is declaring God's glory, um, isn't it true that God's creation is telling man about God's glory? Um, verse 19 says, Because that which is known about God is evident within them, man, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen. And those things are his glory, right? Being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. So it seems as though maybe the Catholic view has a point. Isn't it true that God's creation is another source that we can... You know, outside of Scripture that we can understand God's glory. Or, now, we know that it, it can't do that for his salvation. Even Thomas Aquinas admitted that. But maybe his glory, maybe some of your faith, maybe some of your life, right? Maybe in your faith you could use reason that's outside of Scripture, that's not really deducing from Scripture, but deducing from this other stuff in creation. Maybe it's just common sense. Well, let's look at one verse before Romans 1, 19 and 20 that I just read. Let's look at Romans 1, 18. What we're going to find is that there's a problem with all that. Uh, because it starts out with the wrath of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, it's absolutely true that the world that God created speaks forth his glory. It is true that God uh, has revealed himself even in his uh, creation, but there's a problem. We've talked about this before, but it's especially important today. Man is suppressing the truth, right? This means, in your blank there, man hates truth. He hates it. Okay? He is not indifferent to it. He is not merely ignorant of it. It's not just that he doesn't know, but if he found out, he would then go, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Now I get it. Right? That's what Thomas Aquinas was hoping for. Thomas Aquinas was hoping that once I show you, you, know, this re you know, don't worry about the Bible right now, because I know you don't believe in that. So let me just show you how amazing this whole world is. And doesn't it make sense that it started from somewhere? Maybe it started from God. Isn't the world saying that? And he's hoping to bring them to God that way. Which would be fine if man was just maybe uh, ignorant. Just didn't know. But he does know. That's why he's without excuse. And how, what is his, can we, maybe we can say it this way, his disposition towards truth? He hates it. 
The suppression is that active work of his mind, not just his will. This is a hard thing to wrap your head around. It's not just I'm willfully pushing against the truth. But even the way I reason and I use my intellect is hateful against truth. And why against truth? We learned this last week, and for those of you that may have got the whole thing, uh, why truth? I mean, shouldn't people be curious and want to know truth? Why do they hate truth? Does anyone remember? It has something to do with the, what we learned through the Westminster Confession of Faith about truth. Yes. Thank you. Uh, yes, so Ryan says, because they hate God. Westminster Confession of Faith says, who is the author of truth? God is the author because he is truth itself. Hating truth is a way, uh, is the way that humans are able to hate God on an active level. Not just a theoretical level, but an active level. That's what makes scripture absolutely, your next blank there is, necessary. You need it. Because without it, you have no hope. All that, uh, all that you have because of our sinful nature is God de- uh, God's creation declaring his glory and us hating every second of it. Despising the truth of it. Developing different theories so that it could be false. Right? It is not that the unsaved world finds evolution more compelling. It's that they need it. It is that conduit that they have to get to the hate of the truth. To demonstrate actively their hate. They develop contrary views that negate the author of truth. So the next question there is, is there another source outside of Scripture that can account for all knowledge? In other words, um, there's even Christians, uh, even within our Reformed world, that say, yes, Scripture does, you know, accounts for, you know, faith and the practice of that faith. But there's lots, you know, there's there's other sources we can go to for other truths, You know, 2 plus 2 equals 4, that can't be accounted for in Scripture, but we can account for it in God's creation, and isn't that nice? And I would say, uh, because we have to keep in mind, they have a good point when they say that, because what they want to say is, God's creation is part of his revelation. We call it his general revelation, if you remember from the other past weeks. And that general revelation is just as authentic just as inerrant as Scripture is. But again, that's not where the problem is. Where is the problem? Yeah, it's us. Uh, Because um, even in our salvation, there remains a sinful nature that we war against. There are two men there, not just one. We war against the flesh. We war against the temptation, our old temptation, of believing that that there are ways to truth outside of our God. 
And so scripture then is not only necessary, but it is also that which is sufficient to account for all things. Just because we have not done the work necessary to trace back many of the things we uh, use today, like math back to scripture, doesn't mean that it isn't there. So even when we, and I think I've talked about this before, even when we talk about math, um, do you realize that the world still doesn't know what a number is? I know this sounds strange to you, but uh, I've done a lot of research on this. And uh, it, when you look at the philosophy of mathematics, you find that they're still struggling over defining the term number. Now you might say, well, I know what a number is. It's, uh, you know, uh, you take two apples and then add another two apples. Well, no, those are apples. So you got to think of what a number is. And so you're thinking in your mind of these symbols, you know, the one, the number two. And you think, well, that's, a, that's what a number is. But no, that's, those are symbols you use for the number, right? So you take away the symbols. So what's a number then? Well, now you're in the same place that the history of philosophy has been in a long time, still trying to figure that one question out. And then we expect kids to understand math uh, when we haven't even told them what a number is yet. <laughs> you have people in college with PhDs in mathematics uh, still putting together this, these things that they haven't defined yet called number. But did you know scripture accounts for what that is? Isn't that interesting? Uh, Adam um, is an image bearer of God. What did God do in his creation when he created things? He named them. God named uh, day and night. He named uh, Adam. He named all these things. And then he says, Adam, now you name. And Adam names all the beasts, right, of the field. And so this naming goes on. Now, Adam uh, also, in order to be the scientist that he became uh, as the first man, also had to name things in a quantitative way. And what we find is numbering is a part of that image-bearing naming that God told us to do so that we could subdue and rule over the earth as image-bearers of God. There's an accounting that we have that the world still doesn't have. Scripture is sufficient. That's what I'm getting at. So that first question there, is there another source outside of Scripture that can account for all knowledge? Uh, not for us, right? Not for us. Not only do we need Scripture, but Scripture becomes that fully sufficient source that accounts for these things. So Scripture doesn't tell you, uh, doesn't have math sheets in the back, right, that were inspired math sheets to tell you that 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? Uh, but what does it do? It does more than that. It accounts for the truth of it. It accounts for how it is possible, which is a much bigger job than math sheets. Does that make sense? So next time someone says, well, the Bible isn't a math textbook or the Bible isn't a science textbook, you say, that's right. It makes them possible, right? It makes them possible because it is sufficient to account for all knowledge. Now, now where do we get this? Uh, if you turn to Proverbs... Um, Proverbs chapter 1, 
Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, there are some people that want to take Proverbs and say, well, Proverbs is just a book of uh, kind of like uh, Benjamin Franklin sayings that are just really nice truisms that are sometimes true and sometimes not. just kind of depends on your situation, which then makes everything that it says almost worthless because if, if it doesn't come true, then you're like, oh, I guess that time it didn't. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if you, if you take that position with Proverbs, where when a proverb says something, sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not, you're basically saying, well, Proverbs is giving you directions to a very specific place. And this is what the directions look like. Sometimes you'll turn left. Sometimes you'll turn right. It just depends on your situation. Will that help you? <laughs> I don't think that will help you. Okay, so... Um, we need to take Proverbs as seriously as we take any other book and get a better understanding of uh, its context so we avoid us uh, over, uh, if I can put it this way, uh, making it sound too much like a Benjamin Franklin truism. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge is not true sometimes or it depends on your situation. It is a fact of how knowledge works. In fact, even unsaved people will tell you that in order for you to know something, it can't be just true and just believed. You have to account for it, have to be justified. That's the beginning of knowledge even to the unsaved world. How do you justify what you believe? And how do we justify what we believe? Scripture. How is Scripture possible? Oh, the fear of the Lord is how Scripture is possible for us to believe, right? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's, it's where it begins, in that fear of the Lord. Possible only through the work of the Holy Spirit, we find, right? Through the power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we read through Scripture. Proverbs 2.6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are all from the Lord, right? And this is, you have these three aspects of, of how we think are the only aspects we have, right? Uh, knowledge is, are, are the facts, understanding is how I, under, is how I uh, come to know those facts or, or, or account for them, and wisdom is that application of those facts. So I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians, where all this comes together for us, I think. 1 Corinthians 2. We know all things rightly through Scripture in the power of what, do you think, is going to be in there? Well, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. The things given freely to us by God, who is, as we learned before, the source of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, 
combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So the way we come to rightly know something is through the Spirit. So does that mean unsaved people can't know what 2 plus 2 equals 4 is, or can't know how to do archaeology, or know how to do science, and all that sort of stuff? Of course not. In order for them to do those things, they borrow a little bit from us, right? From Scripture, from uh, the thing they hate, and then turn it, right, to ingratitude, right? So they might get some understanding of gravity, let's say, but then turn it and say, but it has nothing to do with anything that Bible, the Bible says or anything Christianity says or anything about the God that you guys are talking about. This has to do with this completely different theory that I've developed because I am ungrateful to God and hate his truth. So scripture then, your last one there, is scripture is absolutely sufficient. Um, it is sad we live at a time where saying that the Bible uh, is absolutely sufficient to account for all knowledge because we are guaranteed the work of the Holy Spirit through Scripture um, becomes a uh, controversial thing to say. However, it is this kind of confidence you can have in God's Word. You can have this kind of confidence in God's word that anything you come across in your experience, anything that uh, happens in your life that seems uh, like um, there's no way that God could possibly understand or has said anything about that. That you might be feeling feelings that you think may not be addressed in scripture. Or you might be thinking, well, no one has develop these ideas that I'm hearing in my secular college courses that uh, Scripture addresses. Scripture seems to be this ancient thing over here, and what I'm hearing over in my classes are these uh, very mature, sophisticated, uh, technical things that there's no way Scripture can account for that. And so this must be true, and Scripture must just be this ancient thing that maybe I do on the weekends for so that I feel good about myself, but then I go back to the reality of these technical things or my experiences or my feelings or all the things that are happening in my life that I just don't think Scripture can address. And we lose our confidence over the one weapon that has been guaranteed to deal with anything in our lives. And so I hope that as uh, you go through this week, you start thinking about your Bible differently. That even though, yes, maybe the experiences you are going through right now are unique, at least to you. Maybe the feelings you are having uh, right now seem very complicated and difficult, and you don't know where in the Bible to turn to over that. Or maybe the doubts you are having seem so uh, unmovable and strong that there's no way the Bible could ever respond to your doubts or respond to your disbelief or respond to your heart that is uh, rebelling. 
that really the scripture speaks so strongly and so powerfully that it is our one guarantee for truth as we have this, this flesh that resists truth. And what usually is the case is that we have not reached out to the resources that we have. Young people, what is your first thought when you are feeling doubts and you are feeling feelings that you think no one can address? Your first thought is to isolate yourself, to be quiet about it, to not address someone else that might have scriptural or or biblical understandings that might help you. Why not turn to people that can help you instead of isolating yourself? Because you can have the confidence in Scripture, but you may not know how to use it well, but there are people in your life that do. Young men, you have men in this church that are excited to help you Young ladies, you have women in the church that are excited to help you. Some of you have very wise parents. Turn to them. Put the Bible to the test and see if it doesn't have an answer for that thing that is scratching at your heart. Put the Bible to the test. If you think that the Bible isn't something that can help you, bring in people that know and put it to the test. Reveal what's going on in your heart to someone. Uh, the elders I know are, are more than excited to help you. Your parents are excited to help you. Put the Bible to the test. See what the Holy Spirit will do. I know that it is the one weapon that we can depend upon and we ought to be depending upon more than our experiences, more than our feelings, more than what someone we feel is really smart has said. And it has that kind of power for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, are um, humbled that you loved us enough to... Give us a way to truth through the power of your word because of the work of your spirit. We are able to change. We are able to see the truth, be convinced of it because of a change in our heart, which will change our minds. Lord, we pray for this kind of work on us, all of us, as we come to you today uh, eager to hear what you will bring to us through Andrew. So Lord, prepare our hearts. Prepare our minds for that work. In Jesus' name, amen.